Lord, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to uh, tackle chapter 15 of Romans. And uh, thank you, Lord, for this facility, a nice air-conditioned place to relax and enjoy studying your word together as a family. And we don't have to be outside in the oppressive heat. Lord, we pray in your mercy that for the farmers and for the safety of, of uh, our province, we ask that you send rain. And uh, prepare our hearts and minds as we read and study your word, that we may know what it meant back then and know what it's saying to us today, so we can apply it to our hearts and our lives and our minds. For we ask and pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. All right, Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we'll start out with. It says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of the powerless and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good for building him up. So this is a perfect example of how the chapter and verse system is very unnatural. Uh, Paul didn't sit down and write chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. It was just all one piece. And so the beginning of chapter 15 is actually a continuation of the subject matter that was in 14. Because remember in 14 we talked about Christian liberty and not to flaunt your Christian liberty. Like if you're not convicted about a certain thing that the Bible's silent on, yet uh, somebody else is, you don't flaunt that liberty in front of them because you don't want to be a stumbling block or to offend them or hurt them in any way. So chapter 15 verses 1 and 2 continues with those sentiments. Now we who are strong... Uh, ought to bear the weakness of the powerless and not just to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and for building him up. So I have written here, continuing thoughts from chapter 14. Our goal should be edifying and building others up and not flaunting our religious liberties. So I like the little acronym in English of joy. The way to have joy and experience joy in your life is J-O-Y. And that's a priority system. Jesus, others, you. You put Jesus first, others before yourself, and put yourself last. And that's how you can experience true joy. Verse 3 reads, For even Messiah didn't please himself, but as it is written. Now when it says as it is written, you know that the Tanakh, the Old Testament, is going to be quoted in some way, shape, or form. And because the renewed covenant, the New Testament, was written in Greek, a lot of what is from the Old Testament that's found in the New Testament is from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament, of the Torah, of the Tanakh. And so the, because you're straddling languages, you're going from Hebrew to Greek and you know back and forth different languages, it's going to be worded a little different. And so if you look in the New Testament and you see an Old Testament verse and you go back to look up that verse and you're like, wait, that's not what it says. You'll understand why, because most Bibles that we have are from the Masoretic text, which is Hebrew, and it's not from the Greek Septuagint. So mostly what's quoted in the New Testament is from the Greek Septuagint. So it's going to be worded a little different, and even the numbering system and chapter system might be slightly off. So what verse 3 is quoting Psalm 69, verse 9, in the Septuagint. So if you have a Bible and in your notes, um, it, it may have 6810LXX. That means LXX means it's from the Septuagint. It's from the Greek translation um, of the Hebrew Scriptures. So it says, As it is written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. So I want to read something quickly from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. 
and verses 13 through 21, it says, Now when Yeshua heard this, he went away from there privately by boat to an isolated place. But when the crowds heard, they followed him on foot from the towns. As Yeshua came ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for him and healed their sick. When it came evening, the disciples came to him saying, This place is isolated and the hour is already late. The hour is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Yeshua said to them, They don't need to leave. You give them something to eat. We have nothing except five loaves and two fish. Bring them here. Ordering the crowds to recline on the grass, he took five loaves and two fish and looked up to heaven and he offered the baracha, that is the blessing. And after breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. Now those were eating were 5,000 men besides women and children. So verse 3 of Romans 15 says, For even Messiah didn't please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. So this is a perfect example of Yeshua being in mourning. You know, when somebody has a tragedy in their family, especially if it's maybe like a public figure, they'll say, please respect this person's privacy, etc., etc. Kind of basically leave them alone. Well, his cousin just got beheaded. And his whole intentions was him and his disciples were going to get away, going to a place by themselves privately, just to kind of recoup, relax, so Yeshua could properly mourn the death of his cousin. But he saw these people and he could have said, guys, I'm a human being too. You know, even though I'm God in the flesh, I'm human. Don't you know my cousin just was murdered by, you know, this dictator? Why don't you just give me some space and leave me alone? No. Yeshua's like, okay, I can't leave these people. You know, I can't just leave them high and dry. They traveled far just to hear me. And I'm about my father's business. My father's business is more important than me mourning the loss of my cousin. I can always have time later to mourn my cousin. So he put others before himself. So even Jesus gives us the, exam the example of joy. Jesus, others, you. Jesus put others before himself. And, you know, he, he just didn't say, okay, well, I'll just give him a quick message just so, you know, they could... You know, get what they want and I'll just send them away. Well, no. He not only met their spiritual need of the desire for them to hear him and to hear his teaching and his doctrine, but he also physically fed them because he's like, man, what if they leave and, you know, they traveled far? What if they faint on the way home? So he multiplied bread and fish uh, and gave it to uh, the, the, the people to eat. So he shows this the example of sacrifice here. And so Paul is kind of reiterating this, basically saying, let's not just please ourselves. But let's please others, because if we please others, as far as like preferring others and putting others before ourselves, we're going to please ourselves in the process. Because as the saying goes, it's more blessed to give than receive. Um, when you know you bought a gift somebody's going to love, and you give it to them, you don't want them to give you a gift back. You don't want payback. Just the look on their face and their excitement over the gift is, is payment enough for you, no matter how much you spend on that. I remember going to, uh, when I was in Sweden on a mission trip, uh, one of my friends loves ABBA. Like he just loves ABBA. And we were in Sweden where ABBA's from. So there was this book about ABBA and I'm like, oh, I've got to get it for my friend. And somebody says, oh man, you're going to pay way too much for that. It's like, I don't care. My friend's worth it. I don't care how much it costs. Because I didn't know like how much kroners translated into Canadian dollars or American dollars. I didn't care at that point. 
I just wanted to get it because I knew it would make my friend happy. And so it was well worth it. I still don't really know how much I paid for it, but I don't care. All right, verses 4 and 5. For whatever was written before was written for our instruction. So that's what the word Torah means. I know we always translate it as law, and it does mean law, but Torah means instructions. So it says, whatever is written beforehand was written for our instruction, so that through patience and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And I like, my favorite psalm is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms, and that's Psalm 119. Basically, King David is showing what his, his love is. A lot of times you have people that have hobbies or people that have things that they love. Somebody, you know, they'll talk about basketball all the time or hockey all the time. And you know that that's what they focus on or NASCAR or motorcycles, right? <laughs> Everybody's like, motorcycle guys are looking at each other. Um, you know, like I'll t I, I like Batman, so I talk about Batman. I like Reese Cups, so I talk about Reese Cups. But what David talked about, he talked about the Torah. He talked about the five books of Moses. He couldn't get enough of it. Psalm 119 is all about the five books of Moses, all about the law, all about God's instructions. So here's a few verses that really kind of highlight what verse three is, uh, um, verse four is really all about. So in Psalm 119, verse nine, it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So that's the benefit of the word of God. The benefit of the five books of Moses is, is it's helping you to stay pure. It's, it's being your guard. Verse 11 says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Did you know that somebody come up with a pledge allegiance to the Bible? And it uses that verse in another verse. It says, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. So we read verse 11. It says, I have treasured your words in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And then finally, verse 105 reads, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So that kind of covers verse four. For whatever was written before was written for our instruction. Notice not for our condemnation, not for our damnation. So if we are condemned because of what we read in the word, it, we shouldn't take it as condemnation, but conviction. Conviction prompts you to change condemnation makes you feel bad about yourself well that's not the purpose of the word of god is making you feel bad about yourself it's making you feel bad about your condition so that you'll be motivated and make efforts to change so whatever was written before was written for our instruction so that through patience and encouragement of the scriptures so i know a lot of people they want to know the scriptures and they want to know it now they don't have patience to wade through the scriptures to study the scriptures to 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 absorb it they want to they, they wanna go from, you know, spiritual milk to spiritual meat overnight, and you can't do that. So it says, through patience and an encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Verse 5, now may the God of patience and encouragement, the very, basically the very God who, who wrote these in, instructions in scripture, grant you to be like-minded with one another. Like-minded. Like-minded how? By agreeing on the same things. So, you know, agreeing that Batman is the greatest superhero of all times. No, we're not talking about stuff like that. But being like-minded, in other words, having, you know, all the agreement that the word of God is, 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 uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's not corrupted. 
It's infallible. That's the word I was looking for. That the word of God is infallible. The word of God never goes out of date. It's, it's always applicable. And so that's kind of the like-minded that Paul is talking about because he's directly relating it to what he said in verse 4, relating it to the scripture, specifically the five books of Moses. Now, may the God of patience and encouragement grant you to be like-minded with one another in, manner, in the manner of Messiah Yeshua. So not only are we to take the five books of Moses and to apply it, but to apply it the way Jesus taught us how to apply it because he kept it perfectly and showed us how to do it. Now, there's... There's a thing about the commandments. You've heard the, you've heard the saying, there's more than one way to skin a cat, right? So it's the same with the commandments. Now you have, you have different sects of Judaism. You have different sects and denominations of Christianity. We all pretty much believe the same thing. We believe in the word of God, but we all, and we all obey pretty much the same rules and regulations of the word of God, but we may carry them out in a different way. We may not all do it the same, and it's, it's easy to harsh on somebody who's not fulfilling the commandment like you are. Like, for instance, I'll give you one from, from the Torah. So, basically, uh, the Word of God says, um, write these instructions on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. Literally, put the Word of God on your door. So, the way the Jewish tradition is, is they write those very verses out on a parchment, they roll it up, put it in a cylindrical container, and nail it to their door frame, tilt it inward towards the house. But the Bible doesn't say to do that, but yet they're fulfilling the commandment. It's just, just as valid to go to the dollar store and buy a Sharpie and actually write those verses on your door frame. Or take a wood-burning pen and burn those verses in your door. Or take a paintbrush and some paint and paint it on there. Or get a plaque and nail the plaque to your door. You're still fulfilling the same commandment, but you're doing it in different ways. So it's just like sects of Judaism and sects of Christianity. We pretty much all follow the same thing, pretty much, but we may do it in a different way, and that's okay. So um, now may, may the God of patience and encouragement grant you to be like-minded with one another in the manner of Messiah Yeshua. So uh, verse 5, like-minded as in Acts 1-4. Where they were all in one mind and one accord. So Acts 1, uh, 1.14 is about the disciples being one in one mind and one accord. In the context regarded how Messiah taught and interpreted and fulfilled the law. And in turn, taking that word as ordered by the Great Commission. So um, basically, if the first century believers, specifically the apostles of Acts, weren't in one mind and one accord... And they, thought God, and they thought God's word wasn't important, they wouldn't have been there to receive the Holy Spirit. Because they were obeying the word of God uh, by, by participating in the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, Shavuot, in Acts chapter 2. Because of that, because of their obedience, and because of being like-minded and in one accord in agreement with the scripture, the Holy Spirit came. They received the Holy Spirit. If they weren't there, they would have missed out on the coming of the Holy Spirit. Um, okay. All right, but let's uh, move on to verses, uh, verse 6. So that together with one voice, you may glorify God and Father and of our Lord Messiah Yeshua. So this reminds me of what is said in John chapter 17 before Yeshua goes to the cross. The whole prayer that Yeshua prayed was, Lord, let them be one as we are one. Father, as you and I are one, let all of my disciples be one with us and one with each other. So that's the way we're going to bring people into the kingdom. 
one of the greatest things that is keeping people from coming to faith is they're like, oh, you guys can't agree on anything. You guys read the same book, but you can't agree on nothing. You're always fighting and gossiping and attacking one another. If we showed love and unity, not saying we have to agree on every single thing because we're going to do things differently, but agree on the non-negotiable things of the faith, the cardinal principles, the unnegotiable things of the faith. And if we just love each other and accept each other in that regard and show love and unity, that's going to be such a great witness to the world that will help draw the world to faith in Messiah Yeshua. So Paul, through verses 1 through 6, is talking about unity, putting others first, and loving one another. All right, so verse uh, 7 through 13. Therefore, accept one another, just as Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. For I declare that Messiah has come, has become a servant to the circumcised for the sake of God's truth, in order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason, I, uh, I will give you praise among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. And again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise Adonai, all you Gentiles, and let all the people praise him. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a shoot of Jesse, and the one who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. So basically, verses 7 through 13 is confirmation of Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10 that the Gentiles are now included in God's family as well as the plan of salvation. And this speaks to the pure Gentile, not the assimilated Jew or the assimilated Israelite, which were considered Gentiles because they were so far removed from their ancestry and for their, for their, from their customs and from their faith. Because you had a mixed bag in the Roman congregation. So let's go back and focus on verses uh, four or verses nine through twelve. Now nine through twelve, Paul just goes off quoting tons of stuff from the Old Testament from the Tanakh. So the first thing he quotes is from Second Samuel twenty two fifty, then Psalm eighteen forty nine, then Psalm one seventeen verse one, then Isaiah eleven ten, and then finally Deuteronomy thirty two forty three. So it, it just goes without saying that if you don't understand the Old Testament, you're not going to properly understand the New Testament. So you've got to understand the Old Testament for you to really get a good grasp on what the New Testament is really all about. All right, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and shalom, that is peace, in trusting or in faith, so you may overflow with hope in the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, that is the Holy Spirit. So evangelism and unity of Jew and Gentile is only accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to get along and to work together. Because you know what? I mean, we are so different in our personalities that I don't know about you, but I've met some people that, I don't know, just looking at them, they just grate me the wrong way. I don't know them. I've never met them personally. You know, but our, our personalities are so different. It's like, you know, magnets that are that are polar opposites and, and or, you know, that you're trying to put the same in together. They repel each other. Right. But if you're believers, you put all those personal differences and those personal things aside and you can love each other and enjoy each other's company because you're brothers and sisters in Messiah Yeshua. There's a lot of believers in Messiah that I wouldn't go and hang out with. 
And it's not because I hate them, but I don't have anything in common with them outside of Messiah Yeshua. Our personalities are just so different, it's like the odd couple. And it's just awkward being together. But I can worship with them in a worship group, or you know, I can talk, you know, study the Bible with them or talk scripture with them, but it doesn't mean that I'm gonna be really super close buddy buddy with them, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and trusting so that you may overflow in hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit, again, that enables us to be unified because we come from different sociostratas, different ethnicities, different genders, different uh, backgrounds, different personalities. But when we have the Holy Spirit, that's kind of like the glue, the link that kind of holds us to all together and helps us to get along. So when people of the world can see two people that are to polar opposites get along, that gives them hope that maybe this Bible, maybe this God, maybe this Jesus you're talking about is the real deal. Because this doesn't happen you know, outside of, of that kind of religious circle. Uh, okay. So I like what it says in Isaiah 19.25. The Lord of hosts will bless them saying, Egypt my people and Assyria is my handiwork. Israel, my inheritance are blessed. So there's a prophecy that one day that Egypt and Assyria are going to be called God's people just like Israel is called God's people. And I think that's fascinating because wherever Israel was held in captivity, minus Babylon, those nations eventually becomes God's people. They were slaves in Egypt. He says, Egypt is going to be called my people. They were taken off into Assyrian captivity. One day Assyria is going to be called my people. Now, there was a couple Babylonian kings who converted and believed in the God of Israel, but the, whole, the, but the nation as a whole never, uh, uh, never converted, so to speak, or never will be. It's kind of the antithesis in scripture of the bad guys is when you talk about Babylon and talk about the beast system and the world system. All right, verses uh, 14 through 16. Now, I myself am convinced about you, my brothers and sisters, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also able to counsel one another. But I have written rather boldly to you on some points as a reminder, because of the grace given to me by God, to be a servant of Messiah Yeshua to the Gentiles, in priestly service to the good news, the gospel of God, so that the offering up of the Gentiles might be pleasing, made holy, by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit. So there's a couple passages that I want to read in connection with what we just read. So in Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, It shall not be this way among you, but whoever wants to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here we're talking about where Paul says, Now I am convinced about you, my brothers and sisters, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also to counsel one another. But I have written rather boldly to you on some points as a reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a servant of Messiah Yeshua. 
to the Gentiles in priestly service to the good news of God so that the offering up of the Gentiles might be pleasing and made holy by the Ruach HaKodesh, by the Holy Spirit. Now, people that are like, you see people on TV that are in ministry. They got the big fancy suits. They got their sparkly ring on the pinky finger. They got the gold chains. They got the private jets. They've got the summer home on the coast. And they have bodyguards. That's not a servant. That's a rock star. That's not a servant. That's a rock star. They love to, to, to be greeted and to be on talk shows. And, you know, to, to uh, be special guests at presidential or ambassadorial type functions. I mean, they're like the version of the modern day Pharisees. Jesus said the same things about them. You love the high seats in the synagogue and in the high places. You love it when people call you rabbi. It's the same thing. And Paul said, that's not what this is about. If you're going to be a, a, a teacher, a preacher of the word of God, you've got to be a servant. And the, 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 the template for that servanthood was Messiah Yeshua, where we already read where he could have told the people off and says, leave me alone, man. I'm sad. Leave me alone. I'm mourning the loss of my cousin here. But he didn't. He put that on the back burner to be a servant, and he was taken advantage of, in reality, so that he could serve the people and give them spiritual and physical food. And he was able to mourn his cousin later. We see the example also of Yeshua during the last Passover Seder, the Last Supper. What did he do? He washed the disciples' feet. No rabbi ever did that. Rabbi's students did that. The students of a rabbi served the rabbi. They carried the prayer shawl. They carried the tefillin. They carried the books. They escorted him everywhere he went. They went ahead of time to make sure what room he was staying in was kosher. They went ahead of time to make sure that the food that was being served was fit. They were rock stars. Jesus flipped the script and he bent over like a slave, like a servant, and washed his disciples' feet. And Peter's like, whoa, wait, what are you doing? No, this, this, this is all kinds of wrong. You know, you're not going to wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. He's like, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. He says, oh, well, then in that case, wash my head and hands also. <laughs> you know, so he gave the example. He says, what I did to you, do to each other. And that's what I loved about being raised free will Baptist, because we still wash feet. And people think, oh, that's weird. That's gross. But it's the most beautiful, humbling thing. Yeah. Rachel and Callaway, Joseph Emily and I are going to be demonstrating that Sunday at church. Awesome. Opening it up for whoever. Yeah. Along with our communion. Yeah. We were it, supposed to do that here because you bought the... Yeah, we need to do that here soon. Yeah. Get all the stuff for us. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so Jesus gave us the example of being servants to one another. So as a minister, uh, you know... We need to, to be servants. It's not about making money. It's not about making a name for ourselves or being famous or whatever. It's about serving other people because God gets the glory ultimately. And also wanted to read in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, starting with verse 25. Now a certain Torah lawyer stood up and entrapped Yeshua saying, Teacher, what should I do to gain eternal life? Then Yeshua said to him, what is, what is written in the Torah? How do you read it? And he replied, you shall love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. 
And Yeshua said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But wanting to vindicate himself, he said to Yeshua, then who is my neighbor? Yeshua replied, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers who stripped him and beat him. They left him abandoned and half dead. And by chance, a priest, a Levitical priest, was going down the road. But when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Now, what would happen if a Levitical priest come in contact with a person he didn't know was alive or dead? He'd become unclean. He would be disqualified from whatever he was about to do in the synagogue. Which is more important, saving a life or performing rituals in the tabernacle? Saving lives, of course. And even Jesus emphasized this on multiple occasions where he healed several people in synagogue on Sabbath. And he asked the question, hey, is it right or wrong to heal on the Sabbath? Because healing was considered a work. And he says, now, you guys, if you had an ox that fell in the ditch on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you bring it out? Wouldn't you work to get it out? So if you're going to do that for an animal, a dumb animal, a farm animal, how much more so you should do that to each other, to a human being? So here we're talking about the guy who gets robbed and is half dead. So the priest, you know, the priest, he had to deal specifically with the sacrifices, specifically with the, the rituals. He's like... Well, I don't know if this guy's dead or not, and so I probably can't touch him because if I do, I'll be unclean and I'll have to forfeit my service at the tabernacle. And boy, that'll be scandalous. So he just leaves. He passes on the other side, turns the other way, acts like he never saw the guy. Likewise, a Levite. Now, a Levite is different than a priest. Where a Levite assists the priest. They don't particularly do the sacrifices. They do all the grunt work. Take a, you know, carrying water and, you know, they're kind of like the gopher. So he too would have been, uh, been unclean if he would have come in contact with this guy because it says they didn't know if he was alive or dead. Likewise, a Levite also came by to the place and saw him and passed on the opposite side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan. Okay, let's put it in New Brunswick terms. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll deal English here. Let's say, that I, let's say that I was in Quebec and I got mugged and I was beaten and half dead. And all the other English speakers just passed me by. Just act like that I was a bum and like I didn't exist. And a French Indian come along. A French Catholic Indian come along and helped me out. That would be totally unprecedented and unexpected. Same thing with the Samaritan. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews and vice versa. They didn't like each other. The Samaritans were Jewish, but they weren't considered Jewish because they were half-breeds. Although they kept the same faith, but they had their tabernacle on a different mountain. And so to drive the point home of who is my neighbor, Jesus brings in this Samaritan character. But a Samaritan who was traveling came upon him, and when he noticed the man, felt compassion. Didn't care that he was Jewish. Didn't matter to him. He was another human being. He went up to him and bandaged his wounds, pour, pouring olive oil and wine. So that was medicinal back then, not just for food and for good times. but And so you, sometimes you see that today in a situation. Somebody will pull out a flask and pour it over a bullet wound or something like that. Kind of the same principle. Um, he poured olive oil and wine and then set him on his own animal and brought him to a lodge for travelers and took care of him. So this Samaritan was probably on a business trip. He probably had places to go, people to see, things to do, money to make. 
But out of his own pocket, he took care of this guy whom he's supposed to hate, who he was taught that he's supposed to hate. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever else you spend upon him, when I return, I will repay it myself. For which of these three seemed to you a neighbor to the one who was attacked by robbers? And he said, The one who showed mercy to him. And Yeshua said to him, Go and do the same. So here, Paul is emphasizing unity because Rome, the Roman congregations were a mixed bag of converted Pharisees, converted Essenes, um, the common Jew, and then you had uh, assimilated Jews that have come back to the faith. In other words, they were living like Gentiles because they assimilated. Then you had pure Gentiles. So it was a mixed bag, and Paul is talking about unity through the Holy Spirit with all these different people groups that filled these congregations. Okay, verse, uh, verse 17. So in Messiah Yeshua, I have reason to boast before God. For I will not dare to speak anything except that Messiah accomplished through me to bring about the obedience of the Gentiles by, the, by word and deed, and the power and signs and wonders in the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem and about even to um, Illyricum, I have, I have fully proclaimed the good news of Messiah. In this way... I make it my aim to proclaim the good news, not where Messiah already is named, lest I build on another person's foundation, but as it is written. So whenever you see as it is written, you know he's quoting scripture. And in this case, he's, he's quoting from the Septuagint, Isaiah 52, 15. Those who have never been told shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. All right, so we read that big chunk. Let's break it down. Let's go back to verses 17 and 18. So in Messiah Yeshua, I have reason to boast before God, for I will not dare speak of anything except that Messiah accomplished through me to bring about the obedience of the Gentile by word and deed. So Jews and converts reaching Gentiles by living out the instructions of God as a lifestyle as Messiah would before them. Because earlier, Paul said that we are to provoke the Jews to jealousy. And how is the Jews are going to be provoked to jealousy unless it's the Gentiles living as a Jew would, obeying the word of God better than a Jew would obey the word of God? Verse 19, in power and in signs and wonders and in power of the spirit of God. So from Jerusalem and all around, even um, Illyricum, boy, I can't pronounce that. I have fully proclaimed the good news of Messiah because of the Holy Spirit given to believers um, of, of Leviticus 23, Feast Shavuot at Pentecost, signs will follow those who believe. So it was the Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost. And why were they there at Pentecost? Because Leviticus told, 23 told them to be there at Pentecost to celebrate that feast. Because they were being in obedience to the word of God, the, uh, God met them and uh, gave to them the Holy Spirit. And Paul says here that signs and wonders will follow them who believe. And so much is said so also in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark 16, starting with verse 17. Mark 16, sorry, it's taking me a while, verse 17. So it says, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. So Jesus, Yeshua, it's not a magic word. It's not an incantation. It's the power and the authority that that name holds. In my name, you will drive out demons. Remember the sons of Sceva? 
So there were Jewish exorcists. And Jesus even says, if I cast out demons in the name of Beelzebub, who do your sons cast demons out of in the name of, right? You know, he's emphasizing, I'm not the one who's possessed here. If I'm casting out demons, it means the kingdom of God has come to you. It's by the finger of God that this is done. So it says, in my name, they will drive out demons. And the sons of Sceva, they heard that demons were fleeing in the name of this Jesus who Paul preached. And so they go on to try and perform this exorcism. And the demon says, wait a second, guys, you're cracking me up here. Paul, I know. And Jesus, I know. But who do you think you are? Who are you? And the demon beat those seven sons of Sceva and basically tore all their clothes off, beat them to a bloody pulp, and they left that house beaten and naked. But in my name they will drive out demons, and they will speak with new languages. We saw that in Acts chapter 2. Uh, they will handle snakes. Now this is where the Appalachian snake handling cult, that's their verse, says right here, says they will handle snakes, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. So we're going to prove the word of God. Let's praise God, everybody. Bring out, yeah. Let's bring out the let's bring out the locker full of rattlesnakes. You know, so they're dancing with rattlesnakes. They're actually drinking snake venom, and of course, some some of them get bit and some of them die. Well, he didn't have enough faith, or well, that was the Lord's just calling him home. His service here is done. No, we're not to put the Lord our God to the test. I'm not to stand in the middle of a freeway and say, Lord, I believe you're going to deliver me from this semi-truck coming my way. That's idiotic. You're going to get smacked. You're going to get creamed. So the same thing if you, like, you know, purposely handle snakes, you're going to get bit. Now, we see this. It says they will handle snakes, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. What happened in the last chapter of Acts when Paul was shipwrecked? He got, he, got, he got bit by a poisonous snake. It came right out of the... They were building a campfire, and it was hiding in the wood, and it latched onto him, and everybody said, Oh, this is karma. He must be a really bad dude. He's going to die. He, you know, he survived the shipwreck, and he didn't die in prison, but he's going to die now. And he didn't die, and they're like, Oh, he must be a god then if he survived. You know, they thought he was deity. But this is that verse being fulfilled. They will handle snakes, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. Now, I don't mean to wax a little conspiracy theorist here, but there's crap being put in our food. Now, you know, I encourage everybody to try to grow their own food or to buy organic or to buy local, whatever. But sometimes you just eat what you got to eat because that's all you got and that's all you can afford and that's fine. That's why we bless our food, not to kosher our food because we're already supposed to eat kosher food. But when we are eating, we say, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment and the needed healing of our bodies and use our bodies to your service in order to fulfill your commandments. And if there's anything impure in this food, remove it and make and, and so that it won't harm us. Take out any impurities that we don't know about and make it holy. So that's what blessing, that's what prayer can do with food. So I believe that if we're ignorantly, unknowingly, unwittingly ingesting things, that we don't know is in our food, that God is going to protect us from that. God is going to keep us from that. And I think that's a fulfillment of this verse. They will handle snakes, and they and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. Boy, we've got to work on that one. I haven't totally gotten that one figured out yet. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how that goes, how that happens. I just know it's God's sovereignty and God's will. Whoever is healed is healed. But I know I have problems. Would I lay my hands on people and ask God to heal them? I, I doubt. I'm like, God, I'm going to look like a fool if this person doesn't get well. Or what if I don't have enough faith? 
Well, that's my problem, right? And it's really the person's faith because every time Yeshua healed somebody, it was because of the faith of that person. And sometimes it was the faith of their friends because the paralytic, he didn't have any faith, but the faith of his friends caused that guy to be healed. You know, so that's something that I'm still working on and that we're still working on. But it says, if they lay hands on the sick, they will get well. I mean, we've got a lot to, to work on in, in regards to faith here. All right, so back to Romans 15. Breezing through this pretty quickly. Uh, verses 20 and 21. In this way, I make it my aim to proclaim the gospel, the good news, not where Messiah has already been named, lest I build on another person's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told shall see, and those who have not uh, heard shall understand. And so, um, so basically, world missions, home missions and foreign missions, fulfills this prophecy. And as has said, I said before, Verse 21 is quoting from the Septuagint of Isaiah 52, 15. 22 through 24. For this reason, I was often hindered from coming to you. But now, with no place in these regions, and since I have had a desire for many years to come to you, I hope to see you while traveling through when I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a bit. All right, so oftentimes it was perse the persecution of Paul that led to the evangelization of the Gentiles. So we look at things when bad things happen to us, when persecution happens to us, we get a woe is me attitude. I still do. I have a real hard problem in time with that. It's hard to see the silver lining in persecution. But a lot of times persecution will open the door for ministry, for missions, for evangelization. So I like what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12, and 13, uh, 12 through 14. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advancement of the good news. So being arrested, being put in prison has, you know, you would think, oh, well, Paul's ministry is over. He's locked away. But no, his ministry advanced because he was arrested. His ministry was advanced because he was put in prison. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually resulted in the advancement of the good news. And so my imprisonment in the cause of Messiah has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. You know, you've, you've heard the old saying, hey, what you in for? Yeah, that's what prisoners usually ask each other, what, what you in for? So Paul got to say, well, this is why I'm here. And the reason of his incarceration was spread throughout not only the inmates, but all the Praetorian Guard. And you know, whatever the Praetorian Guard knows is bumped up to the higher ups, and eventually the emperors all knew. Because of my imprisonment, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord to dare more than ever to speak uh, messages fearlessly. So, because Paul was in prison, and everybody knew about it, everybody heard about it, everybody knew why, it gave people boldness to become more evangelistic themselves in their life, even if it caused them to be put in prison. I remember during the scamdemic, oh, did I just say that? Um, that when Pastor James Coates was arrested and put in, in prison, that gave a lot of believers boldness to stand up against the ridiculousness of the whole thing. And to say, no, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to follow what the Bible says. Our church is meeting. We're not going to do all this crazy nonsense. and not, We're not going to do this video thing. We're going to meet live like God told us to. 
And so his incarceration brought more attention to what the Word of God really says on obeying God versus obeying the government and also you know, living out our faith. So kind of the same principle there. Uh, all right, verse 22. 15-22. For this reason I was often hindered coming to you. Now this reminds me of Daniel 10, 12 through 13. So a lot of times, there, there, there are certain times if you read Acts and read the letters of Paul, where you know Paul said, I wanted to go here, but the Holy, Holy Spirit said, uh-uh. And other times where the Lord opened the door for him to go to one place or go to another, and others where he was hindered because the Lord didn't want him to go. But there's also spiritual warfare that goes on that is behind the scenes and we don't know about. So maybe also Paul was talking about the hindrance in the spiritual realm, because in Daniel 10, uh, 12 through 13, you have uh, the archangel talking to Daniel. He said, then he said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. However, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, in other words, the fallen angel that's ruling over Persia, resisted me for 21 days. So the archangel and the prince of Persia were battling in the heavenlies for 21 days straight. But behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I had been detained there with the, king, with the kings of Persia. All right, back to Romans 15, verses 25 through 29. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the holy ones. The Macedonia and Acacia were pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are under obligation to them. For if the Gentiles have share in the spiritual blessings, they also ought to serve them in material blessings. So when I have finished uh, delivering the collection safely to them, I will head for Spain by way of you. Now I know that when I come to you, uh, I will come in fullness of the blessing of Messiah. So what Paul is talking about here is talking about what in Judaism is called, is called tzedakah. We call it a love offering. The world calls it charity. And it's very important, and it was a very major thing for the first century believers. And here, Paul is even bringing about that principle by the way he's talking um, about support, uh, especially for the Jerusalem believers, where his principle was to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. So Gentile believers are to support the people of Israel. And there are a lot of ministries that are very uh, have such a, a great heart towards Israel. And they pray for Jerusalem. They pray for Israel. They also give uh, financially to support uh, evangelistic ministries in Israel. All right, moving on to verses uh, 30 through 33. Now I urge you, brethren, through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and through the love of the Ruach, the Spirit, to press on together with me with prayer to God on my behalf. Pray that I might be rescued from the unbelieving Judeans uh, and that my service for Jerusalem might be acceptable to the Kedoshim, to the Holy Ones, to the Saints. Then God willing, I may come to you in joy and together with you find rest. Now may the God of Shalom, may the God of peace be with you. Amen. So these are prayers for the mission that was spoken of in verses 22 through 29. Uh, prayer for the mission work and for the relief of Jewish believers in Jerusalem. So Paul is urging the Roman congregations to say, not only look after yourselves, 
but also look after the believers as a whole, especially in other parts of the world that you know you don't consider your territory, Jerusalem, things like that. So um, that's Romans 15. So let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. And next week, Lord willing, we'll finish out Romans with chapter 16. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you once again for your word, that it is living, that it is active, uh, that it is powerful, that it is life-changing, that it is encouraging, that it is nourishing, it is convicting. Um, we thank you that the word serves many functions in our lives, and we want to receive the benefit of all of those different functions of the word. So help us, help our hearts and minds to always be receptive and in agreement with the word and be submitted to the word. And help us to know what it's trying to say to us in a historical context, but also in a modern day context so that we could live it out in our modern day lives and be able to edify the saints and reach the lost for you. For we ask and pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.